Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Today's New Testament lesson is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Uh, It tells us the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? The word, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 27 through 34. Hear these words from the book that we love. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seeds of humans and the seeds of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, bring evil, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days, they shall no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. The days are surely coming says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. For Dorothy, in the well-known movie, The Wizard of Oz, there certainly was no place like home. After having her home crash down in the land of Oz, Dorothy spends the majority of the film traveling through Munchkinland, following the yellow brick road in hopes of finding the Emerald City so that she can make it back home to Kansas. Along the way, she meets and befriends unique characters. But when the movie ends, she awakens to find her family telling her it was all just a dream. She pleads her case, insisting it wasn't a dream. Nevertheless, declaring there is truly no place like home. For many, but certainly not all, Home is ultimately a place, a place in which, in which one has a profound sense of connection, identity, and even love. In the land of Oz, Dorothy experiences a reality in which everything is different. Lions talk, scarecrows walk, a tin man desires a heart. Two witches battle for power. As she walks through this land, Dorothy longs to be free from fear and a loss of connection. She longs to be home. The prophet Jeremiah lived and spoke to a people in the midst of disruption and dislocation. A people without a home, a people in exile. These are a people devastated. Their home, their temple, their people, their world has been reduced to rubble. Their world exists now in, as one in which justice never prevails. The prophet Jeremiah speaks to a people in exile a word of hope of restoration. God has not abandoned them. The God who sung the world into creation is the same God who breathed new life into being. And is the same God who planted the Garden of Eden and the same God who will replant and tend to new life, bringing restoration amidst a community in ashes. In those days, God says, no longer will the community of faith suffer from the sins of those who come before. A new day is coming, 
And with it, the promise of God's continued faithfulness. A new covenant written on their hearts. When we hear the word covenant, we might think of an agreement or perhaps a contract. But the biblical vision for covenants is much more expansive. It, it means something like a partnership between God and a people. You see, the Bible begins with this beautiful image of homemaking. In the garden, we find a place of belonging for God, humans, and all of creation. And a partnership is created between God and humans. But then the humans are rebellious. They want to control and create a world on their own terms. The story we see in scripture is that everyone is pulled behind the barrier that sin and rebellion creates between us and God and all of creation. In response, God creates a covenant family with Noah and Abraham, the nation of Israel and King David. And through these individuals, all people would eventually be invited into it. A people and their God. Last week in our middle school and high school youth group, we sat together in a circle and had an honest conversation about what kind of space we wanted to try and create when we gathered together. We asked the questions, what do we expect from each other? What do we expect from ourselves? And how can we support one another? And from this conversation, we formed a group covenant that showed our commitment to each other for how we would act, interact, and react when we were gathering together. And the covenant our youth created is beautiful. It's a vision for our space that seeks to create belonging, connection, and support for one another. And with our group covenant, we made a promise for our vision for our life together as we seek to be in relationship with each other and with God. Here in this passage, God makes a commitment and a promise, one that will be written on the hearts of God's people. With this covenant, God doesn't throw out the covenants that came before, but affirms what God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai and to the people. I shall be your God and you shall be my people. No matter what, I'm with you and for you for the long haul. As one commentator notes, these words promised desperately needed hope to the survivors of an invasion. The God of creation would recreate them. The God of exodus would embrace them again. And the merciful, tender, loving God would forgive all their sin. The sin that led God to surrender Judah and Jerusalem to the Babylonians would be forgiven. This was good news for a desperate people. It was water for parched lips. 
You see, many of us gathered here this morning know something about exile. Whether we've experienced it or witnessed it, we've seen how worlds can be brought down to rubble. We know what loneliness feels like. We've seen bullying in our school hallways and around the conference table. We know a little something about disruption when we feel it, when we see it. Exile is not new. We live in a culture of displacement, constantly bombarded by images of emptiness and a myth of scarcity. An overly mobile life, economic anxiety, and technological advances have all fueled a sense of placelessness and a longing for connection, identity, and love. We hear a lot about a lot of the language about pilgrimage in our community. We're all on a journey, and it's true. We are. Our stories and experiences place us at different moments in time. And whether we might feel like those in exile, or perhaps like Dorothy, feeling emotional displacement, wandering through some sense of placelessness, we long for that familiar place where we belong, where we will be loved where the home we dream of may just be real. You see, our sense of longing for connection, for an identity, for love, can only be found in the source of the life-giving love that is Jesus Christ. And it's in community that we see this most clearly. Because in community, we live out our creed, a law, God's love that's written on our hearts. In one of his sermons, the Reverend Dr. Thomas Long shares a story about a gentleman he met at Nassau Presbyterian Church. Now, for those of you who don't have, aren't familiar with this church, it's situated in a context much like ours. It's intimately connected to the Princeton to Princeton University. And as a result, many professors make up its membership, and this church prides itself on its intellectual life. Dr. Long shared that one night he was visiting the church for a lecture and was sitting and eating with them during a potluck supper. And sitting next to a man he did not know, he asked the man how long he'd been going to Nassau Presbyterian Church. The gentleman replied, Oh, Lord, I've been here all my life. In fact, I'm the last non-intellectual here in this congregation. <laughs> the Reverend Long said, are you kidding? The man replied, no. I haven't, heard a ser- I haven't understood a sermon preached here in 25 years. <laughs> but I'd never leave this church, the man said. Dr. Long asked why. He told him that every Monday night, he and a group from the congregation got into one of the church vans, and they went up to the youth correctional facility up the road in Somerville, New Jersey. 
Sometimes, he said, they meet and they have a Bible study. But most of the time, they just play ping pong, get to know one another. I started to do it, the man said, because I thought it was the sort of thing that Christians ought to do. But now I wouldn't miss a Monday night. I found that it feeds my soul. The man paused and said, you know, you cannot prove any of the promises of God in advance. But if you live them, they're true everyone. Here is a story of a man living with God's love, God's law written on his heart. I have two questions for us to ponder as we move through this stewardship season. The first, will you open your eyes, your ears, your hearts to God's extravagant vision of a community of love even in the face of whatever exile you may face? And second, will we allow our imaginations to move towards God, toward, towards God's good future? The abundance of God's love of our great homemaker bursts forth in many different ways, in ways that we might not even imagine. And the inbreaking of this great homecoming is all around us. So look around you. Inside and outside the four walls of this sanctuary, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Through Christ, who stands with us and for us, we are engrafted into the covenants of faith. And the love that we wait for that we long for is that fierce love that pitched his tent among us. My friends, God's promise to each of us is the same threefold promise he made to the people of Israel. I am with you. I will keep you. And I promise a great homecoming, a place of dwelling, of belonging, and of communion. There's no place like home. May we trust in God's faithfulness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Join me in a continued attitude of prayer. Covenanting God, as we come to prayer, remind us that you have inscribed your word upon our hearts. We do not have to twist your arm to seek good things for this world nor find ways to persuade you to come near and listen to us. So we bring to mind now those people who are in need of our prayers, those who are ill or anxious, those who are lonely or sad, those who are despairing or defeated, those who are hungry or homeless, those whose relationships are breaking apart, those who are bullied 
or abused, those who cannot find work and those who are overworked. In silence now we make our specific prayers for those on our hearts and minds today. Teach us to serve you, loving God, and make us faithful to your call. Open our hearts and minds to know your truth and shape our actions to live into your covenant. Hold us gently in your eternal mercy. Set us free from sin and look at us with your love. We dedicate our efforts, skills, and interests to your work in this congregation and everywhere we go. Let our lives show your good news to the world. Let us feed, serve, and lift up your people in need. Bind us to each other as your beloved people, called together in Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.